Welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. We are deep into our major study of the book of Daniel, and today we continue with chapter 10 of this great book of prophecy. Class teacher Doug Brady has carefully examined and studied each word of this chapter as you will discover as you listen to his lesson today. You will certainly want to have your Bible open to Daniel chapter 10 as we progress in this lesson. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in Lavorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. We would love to meet you if you're in the area. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin, so here now is our longtime teacher and my good friend, Doug Brady. We've been studying now, starting in Daniel chapter 10, we've been looking at the initial part of the introduction to this prophecy, which is, you're going to see is amazing prophecy. Let me ask you a question, it's kind of a trick question, how many chapters should there be in the book of Daniel? 10 is correct. Now, in your Bibles, how many does it say? 12, but should be 10. And uh, I will gripe a little bit when we get to some, of, even if you were going to divide it into three chapters, the division is still messed up. So we're going to talk about that. Now, the answer, if you remember, that was God gave to Daniel to his prayer request was delayed for how long? Three weeks. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew, it says three weeks of days. Now, why would it say that? Because in Daniel chapter 9, it just talks about 70 weeks of years. So I wanted to get you back on the right track. And we learned that spiritual warfare was going on, a warfare that you and I rarely ever see, if ever see. And yet we have to learn that this happens. Now, who was present when the prophetic messenger gave or came and gave the message to Daniel? How many people? If there was only one, it was just an angelic being. If there was two people there, two heavenly persons, I'm going to call them, then I'm convinced it would be the messenger and Michael, the archangel. If there was three or more, then it would be the messenger, Michael, and possibly Jesus Christ. Now, I'm convinced, of course, that Jesus Christ spent the hour or two with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the fiery furnace. I'm also convinced that Jesus Christ spent the evening in the lion's den with Daniel. And so why wouldn't he come under these circumstances? But I wanted to see this. Now, was there anybody of a human nature there with Daniel when these guys appeared? Yes, there were. Let's look 
at a passage I want you to see here in Daniel chapter 10, verse 7. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the message, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, the great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. They ran away to hide themselves. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Have you ever heard of anything like that before? Revelation where? Who hid? Yeah, but they were, that was in six when they were realizing the wrath of God. I'm talking about a message came. Paul on the road to Damascus. Those people were all fearful and hid. How about Genesis chapter 3? Ooh, very good. John, I mean, God, Jesus had been showing up every evening, every day in the cool of the evening, walking with them and talking with them. But on that day when he showed up, what did they do? They ran and hid. You know, it's interesting. You know, Jesus is a lawyer. And he knows how to ask questions. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's glorification. <laughs> Do you remember what he said to them first? Why are you hiding? He said, Adam said, because we're naked. Who told you that you were naked? The lawyer. No. <laughs> Jesus says the lawyer's talking. Hey, Doug. Hey, Doug. It's naked. Well, I wanted the Amalekite to be able to understand what I was saying. And uh, now, so anyway, I don't know why we're doing that. Who were these people that were with Daniel? Well, they were probably either guards or students who were, he was teaching. Remember, he'd retired. Or they could have been fellow professors and scholars or more than likely, in my opinion, all three. Now, I think it's important for us to realize that just because you retire, does that mean that God's through with you? Absolutely not. In fact, for many of us, it means God can use us more uh, after we retire. Now, there's also a principle I want you to see. Daniel's basically taking a road trip out to the Tigris River, and these people are all there, and God decides he's going to talk to him right then. One of the principles we need to realize is when God's ready to talk to you, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It, it just doesn't matter what you were doing. I remember one of the most important times in my life once. I was at a conference, and I was sitting at a table praying when God decided to talk to me and tell me. And I, I, it was so real to me, I looked around to see if anybody else had heard what he'd said. And... It's important for us to come to understand these things. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10, verse 8. And we're going to see what's happened in relation to the vision. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the time that we can spend together, that we can open your book and we can look at it. We can see the things that you have saved and hidden here for us that I pray that your Holy Spirit will explain things to us today and give us great understanding of what's being said. Also, I pray that he'll give us unction for doing the things that you're either exemplifying here for us or urging and mandating us to do. Now, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through me and that I will simply be his mouthpiece. I won't say anything that you don't want said. Even if I was planning on saying it, have me forget it so that you can use this time to build into our lives and hearts. 
I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So, the effects. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. Now, some of us may have a wife who will say, oh, your color doesn't look good. Or did you see that person? His coloring didn't look that good. Now, I don't know who would have a wife like that, but she would have been appalled if she'd have seen Daniel because deathly pallor, that sounds pretty serious to me. And I retain no strength. Now, I want to ask you a question here. Why was Daniel in this condition? Had he caught COVID? No, okay. Well, that's right. The Chinese hadn't released it yet, so he couldn't have... (laughs) Well, excuse me, the CIA hadn't released it yet. I can't believe I was saying things like that, you know. How unpatriotic of me to point the finger at the real culprits. But anyway, the fact is, he was affected by what? Not just the fasting. He was affected by the presence of holy beings. Now, are angels holy? Yes, they can't be in the presence of God and be sinners, so they have to be holy. And they were there, whether Jesus was there or not, these holy beings. If you were in the presence of Michael, human beings don't fare well in the presence of angelic beings. Now, this this isn't the first time. Do you remember he had this vision with an angelic messenger in chapter 7, where he talked about the four beasts, and it says, At this point, the revelation ended, and as for me, my thoughts were greatly alarming, and my face grew pale. In chapter 8, where he talks about the ram and the goat, back in the last verse, it says, Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. And then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but was astounded by the vision, etc. Being in the presence of an angelic being will cause great physical effects to a person. And I imagine that's true even if it's a fallen angelic being. But be that as it may, its strength left him. But he goes on to say in verse 9, but I heard the sounds of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand up straight, for I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words, I stood up trembling. Now, we've talked a minute about the effect on Daniel. Do you remember the effect this same thing had on John when he was on the Isle of Patmos? If you look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Remember deathly pallor? Dead man, you see these correlations. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. That was Jesus speaking to John, who fell on his face like a a dead man. Daniel, in the same way, he fell on his face, sleeping in a sound 
almost like coma-like sleep with his face to the ground. And he would remain there if the angel hadn't touched him. Can angelic beings nurture humans and improve their physical condition? Do you remember even in the garden, you know, Peter, John, and James, they're asleep. Jesus needs help. So who comes and ministers to him? Angels. After the 40 days in the wilderness, did anybody minister to Jesus? Yes, angelic beings, because he was now 100% human, although also 100% God. So Daniel's response to the heavenly messenger's presence was described as a loss of strength, a loss of control, and a loss of color. I want you to think for a second, how would you have responded? Now, there is one difference between you and Daniel. Had, and notice I'm speaking the past tense, had Daniel's sins been washed away? Nope. Would his sins be washed away? Yes. yes. He was looking forward to it. You now, have your sins been washed away? Yes. yes. That is one distinction. It may have a difference. It may not. I haven't been in the presence of an angelic being other than my wife, so I don't know. But maybe one day we'll find out. I want you to notice something in this passage here. Let's look at it. Look what it says. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem. Now, who's saying this? The angelic being. Now, understand, he is capitalized, but he is capitalized because it's at the start of a sentence. This is not... Uh, does not indicate deity. Now, what kind of a statement is that? Oh, Daniel, oh, Daniel man of high esteem. What? I would just say that he wasn't told to tell, to tell Daniel, oh, Daniel. I think this angelic being was blown away that Daniel was like, oh, Daniel, you, don't, you just don't get this. You know, here we go. He, he was really, uh, Daniel was really something special. Special where? In other words, this is a statement of reputation. The angel knew his reputation. If that angel knew his reputation, who else would have known? Well, I think everybody in heaven. He had a heavenly... How do you get that kind of reputation? Would you like to have that kind of reputation? Daniel had it. Does God do special things for those who are men and women like Daniel? Yeah, he does. You know, I had two sons. Yes, I still do. But I'm talking about in the teenage years, one got a car before the other one did. Why? Age. Responsibility, not age. They got it to him at the same, I would have given it to him at the same age when each of them got, but I couldn't because one of them was not as responsible as the other. That's the way parents are supposed to be. That's the way God is. If you can handle it, he would do it. I can remember a time that I was trying a lawsuit and my maturity level, spiritual, was not as, as clear as it is, not as uh, elevated as it is now. Not saying that it's above anybody else, but I was not that high at the time. But trying that lawsuit, if I had won, my share would have been $345 million. I said, I'm not going to, I prayed and prayed. I'm not going to let you have that. Why? Because of what it would have done to you. It would have ruined you, Doug. It just ruined you. It had been no use to me. And I couldn't have used you to do the things I did with your sons, with your teaching ministry, with all these things. 
and you'd have thought you'd had no need for me after that. And so God does those things. And I was one who would not have been mature enough, probably, I guess. You know, you'd like to say you'd like to try. But <laughs> now, I want you to notice that first, that reputation. How is that reputation earned? By how you live. Number five here I want to share with you in Daniel 12. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. Now, Daniel's prayer was heard immediately by God, but it took three weeks for the answer to get there. Why? Why would it do that? Do we not understand Satan's position sometimes? You need to understand it. Let's look first in John, 1 John 5.19. It says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now notice that. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In John 12, 31, he says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. Satan. Look in Luke 4, 5 through 8, where this is talking about the temptation of Jesus. And he, Satan, led him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and all this glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I will give it, I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. Now, what is this going on here? A temptation. If it's not real, is it a temptation? If you know the person who's saying, I'll give it to you, can't give it to you, it's not a temptation. Jesus knew those kingdoms belonged to Satan. He could have given it to Jesus if Jesus would have met his terms. Jesus said, no. Uh, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How did he become the God of this world? Look back up there. It says, for it has been handed over to me. Who handed it over to him? Adam. Well, we say Adam and Eve, but Adam. Eve helped Satan get that position, but Adam did it. He made the mistake. Here again, so many times in our country, the man is responsible for the decisions of the family. And he is to be held accountable. And there's an awful lot of men in our country who need to be held accountable. So, let's look at the explanation of this messenger again. And, and I want to talk about this. I want to ask you a question. This is going to be a chance to, for you all to show yourselves here. Number one, or the question is, how many angelic beings were involved in this fight that's described by the messenger? How many? Now, we're not, one is not a choice because you can't have a fight with just one. Well, most of you can't have a fight with just one. <laughs> so how many of you believe there were two angelic beings present at this fight? I'm not seeing any hands. One there. Okay. Oh, and Chris. How many believe three angelic beings were involved in this fight? Uh, I've got a few hands. How many believe four? Well, let's just put it all together. Four or more. I've got one person right here who believes four or more. Oh, wait. We got another one back, two back there. 
All right. Tell me, Rebecca, why you think there were four. Oh, gee, somebody reads the Bible. Have you not seen that? Let's look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me. Now that's one. And who's the me? That's the angelic messenger. That's two. For 21 days, then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes. Now, let's switch to that. That's three, but let's, let me show you something here. I want you to notice something here. Michael, one of the chief princes. How many archangels are there? Mm, I think there's more than that. This would be dual if there was two. We just don't know who they are. Because you don't know who they are doesn't mean there's not more, right? Okay. But that's a point in passing. As of Michael, we got three. Who I'd been left there with who? The king of Persia? Kings of Persia, right, Rebecca? So, you see, there's four or more involved in this battle. They kept coming in. Satan said, don't you let that message get through. But if there's kings of Persia, they're talking about an angelic conflict, and they're talking about angelic beings that were there of Persia. Now, who... We're talking about uh, God's angels. Oh, no, I was talking about any angelic beings. Sorry. Maybe I didn't, you know, lawyers don't always give just the clearest of questions. No joke. <laughs> yes. So, say that again. Who do you think the kings of Persia? Okay. Now, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia is a prince can be leader. That was the same word used for Jesus in Daniel chapter 9 where it says the, the coming prince. A prince who is, and it's then the same one used at the end, the prince who is to come leader. I think these are kings or sub-rulers like vassal kings. Now, I believe these are multiple demonic beings or fallen angels, as you would wish, who were joining in this battle to try and stop it. To me, that's one of the strongest arguments to say there were three or more people there from God's side because Jesus came to make sure the message got through. So that's what I'm seeing. Now, whenever we're talk, talking about this angelic conflict, this, this uh, satanic fighting, we just don't get every answer we want to get. But there's sometimes things like just an S added on there. Now, that's not the way it is in the Hebrew. It would be I am, im. But the fact is, we get a little more of a view of what's going on. Now, the other point to see is, had the king of Persia's heart been turned by God? Yes, Cyrus maybe even was a believer by this time because Daniel had an effect on that. And so, yes, Cyrus, but after that, ever since then, how has Persia been towards Israel? Those guys have been winning over and over. Well, winning, not say winning, but Satan has been using them and taken over Persia, which is what today? Iran. And does Iran hate? And we had some farmer who was a numbskull who let the Shah get deposed. And now they have Ayatollah Khomeini who took over. And what was his statement? I'm going to wipe Israel off the map. And he started out saying, there's two Satans. There's little Satan and the big Satan. Little Satan is Israel. The big Satan is who? Us. Why would we? So, you begin to see that. Now let's look at the preamble of the message before I get too carried away. 
Now I have come to give you understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision pertains to days yet future. Or maybe a better translation, the latter days. What does the King James say? Oh, I hate to submit to that. Why did I do that? Well, now, let me ask you, how much of the message that's going to come is going to be about the church? Wait, we haven't even got there, and you can say none? Yes, you can, because this is about Israel. Is he going to tell Daniel about the church? No, no Old Testament prophet knew about the church. It was a mystery. So God, in a way, they come and thinking, well, it just keeps going on, and they don't understand there's a break because there's a church age, and they don't understand it. But in understanding, when you get to this vision, there's some people want to say, oh, yeah, that's talking about the church there. No, it's not. It's not talking about the church. It's talking about Israel. And this is the key to understanding it. Now, we're going to stop here and look at something that I think is important because we want to see and understand this magnificent vision that's coming is because of Daniel. And what is it because of Daniel? Daniel took hold of a promise. Now, let me ask you, how can you get the fulfillment of a promise? What is the key that unlocks the door? Nope. Prayer. Prayer unlocks the door. Now, what? there's two types of promises that God can give us. Can you tell me what those two types are? Very good. Not only does she make great breakfast, but she's right on the money. Conditional and unconditional. Now, unconditional would be the promise given after the flood to Noah with the rainbow. I'll never destroy. Is there anything we have to do to get him not to destroy the earth with water? No. It's unconditional. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7, 12-14. Now we want to look at this carefully and unpack it to see what Daniel is doing here. All right? Now let me give you the background. The temple has been just been completed the day that's right before the evening of this event. So Solomon has just completed building the temple that he and his father had planned. And as he goes to sleep that night, they're going to dedicate the temple the next morning, and God speaks to him in the night. And this is what he says. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, what mistake had Solomon and or the people of Israel made at this point? I don't hear an answer. The answer is none. Nothing. Hadn't made a mistake. He's saying, if it happens, if you do something that is sinful, and I have to respond, for example, if I send locusts, or I stop the rain, or I send pestilence. What is pestilence? Ah, very good. It can be disease. It could be something else like that. If I do that, here's what you do. I'm giving you a promise, 
But is this promise conditional or unconditional? It is conditional. Now, first, important question. Who is this promise for? Well, who is, when this was written, no, let me say it differently. When God said this to Solomon, who were God's people? Israel. Who was called by his name? What does Israel mean? What does it mean? No, it means God prevails. The name Israel in Hebrew means God prevails. What a great name. God prevails. Well, what about Israel? Don't have to worry. God prevails. So, that's the first thing I want us to see. Was there anyone else at the time that God was speaking to Solomon who could be God's people? You have questions on these none or no answers, don't you, Here, Nope, there weren't any. Is Israel still his people and called by his name? Yes, yes they are. Now the question I'm leading up to. Does this promise now apply to anyone in addition to Israel? I would say yes, too. Well, well, let's talk about this. All right. No, doesn't wait. Let's talk about this. I'm going to ask you some questions, Don, and see if you can answer them. All right. I knew you would be. Now, is there anybody else today who would be considered God's people? Who is that? The church. Well, is there anyone else called by his name today? What does Christian mean? Christ in one. I'm going to suggest to you that this is a dual promise. Now, I know some of you may not think that. And studying and praying over that this week, I'm convinced that it is a dual promise. And it's made to God's... Now, let me clarify what I'm saying here. Is it made to America? No. America is not God's people and not called by his name. The church is, though. I'm referring only to the church. We tend to think, well, America's a Christian nation. America's not a Christian nation. Used to be. Not anymore. But be that as it may, I want us to look at this promise because I think there's application for us here that we need to see, and we're going to break it down. Now, we've already told ourselves or under, under, came to understand this is a conditional promise. So, what are the conditions? Well, let me ask you this. How many conditions are there? Four is correct. The Amalekites right on the money this morning. The four, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Let's talk about that a second. Those conditions, we got humble themselves. Let's, let's go on to pray. Let's look at pray first. Pray, what does that mean? Well, that's kind of a general term. But let's look at two passages. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. You stop there. Wait a second. Does that say I have to pray for Joe Biden? Does that mean I have to pray for Elena Keegan, uh, Keegan and uh, Sonia Sotomayor? Well, Do you see an exception in there? 
you're losing your value here now for the Amalekite name because it includes everybody. And not praying, that does not mean praying, God, please hurry up and send them to hell. That's not what it's saying. I want you to understand that. Now, you look in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So they add a new term. So let's look at these terms. Entreaties to start with. What does entreaties mean? Entreaties means a plea for needs made humbly. Coming humbly before somebody, and you remember that was one of the first triggers, humble himself. Humbly before somebody to plea for needs. Prayers is just a request made directly to God. Petitions. That means meeting with for seeking aid. When you are in need of aid, you petition God. Thanksgivings means a giving of thanks or showing our gratitude. Now in this issue, in this context, what are we supposed to thank him for? Everything. Even the bad things, everything. Supplications. That means relating to a need for supply. You need something supplied to you. That's supplications. Those are the kind of prayers that trigger this promise. Those things we need to remember that in your prayers, are you exercising all of those kind of prayers? Different varieties. You should be. There's also one that's not there, and that's glorification or adoration. Mark. If I could just touch base on the number two prayers, requests made directly to God, I would, I would just... You're not going to say pray to Mary, are you? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Because you don't pray to anybody but God. Amen. And although Mary was a great lady... Awesome, in fact, she was a sinner. Jesus was not. Suggest these requests are made via conversation due to a relationship with God. I would agree with that. Now, he's saying that these are conversations made based on a relationship with God. I've heard somebody say something differently. My belief used to be God only hears the prayers of his children, unless it's a prayer made to Jesus to save him, save the prayer. I've heard some other people say something different. I'm not sure if I can go with that. But that's a, a discussion for another time. Yes? You know, to help anybody to pray for the people in uh, positions of authority that we don't like, um, what has helped me, you know, before, if they don't get saved, Satan wins. And I don't want Satan to win. Yes. Each, each human being is a contest. And Satan, you know, just like God has a plan for each person, Satan does too. Do everything he can to keep him from becoming a believer. And he's active in that. Now, let's talk about the next one. Seeking God's face. Look in Daniel again, 10, 12. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for for the first day that you set your heart on understanding this. Seeking God's face is coming to God, seeking understanding of him and his plan. Now, how would you describe in that verse Daniel's motivation? He set his heart 
didn't he? That means that was what he was going to do. That was the most important thing to him right then. Setting his heart on this understanding. Seeking God's face involves two important concepts. Striving to know God for who and what he is. And that's important. That's why in these prayers, adoration or glorification is important because that expresses your understanding of who and what he is. Almighty God. Secondly, wanting to understand what he wants and what he intends to do. Now, understand what he wants and what he intends to do. Well, sometimes I want to go to him and ask him what he wants me to do. Now, I can tell you, what he wants you to do is what he wants and what he intends to do. So many times we say, God, we've come up with these plans and we're asking you to bless them. No, we don't ask him to bless our plans. What we want to do is find out what his plans are and get on board with him. Who's to set the agenda? Not the servant, but the master. Who's to determine what should be done? Not the servant, but the master. And so Daniel comes before him that way. Now, the fourth thing, turn from their wicked ways. Did Daniel seek to lead his people away from wickedness? Now, we're not really told the prayer that went on here for three weeks in Daniel 10. But did we get insight into the prayer of uh, Daniel 9? Now, we didn't hear the whole prayer because he was praying all day. And we could read that prayer in five minutes. But he told us what he was praying about. Not only did he seek to lead his people away from wickedness, he set an example of a non-compromising lifestyle for them. He laid his life on the line a number of times to exercise radical obedience. He confessed at length the sins of his people to the Lord and then wrote this magnificent message to them, the book of Daniel. But now I want to go back. I want to go back to what I consider the most important trigger, the first one that I kind of glossed over to start with. Humble themselves. How did Daniel humble himself before the Lord? Do we know that he did when he was praying? Did he humble himself? Let's, yeah, let's look at verse 12 again. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, from the first day you set your heart on understanding, that is seeking my fa his face, and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. So how did Daniel humble himself? To me, this is an important trigger that most people in the church do not know or understand and therefore practice. Ah, Gary says fasting. Well, let's look back in verse 2. Daniel says this, In those days I, Daniel, had been mourning or lamenting for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. Now, what does it say he's doing there? Fasting. Now, there's a lot of people that have a lot of strange ideas about fasting. I can remember one time my son came home and he said, Dad, you know, this person in the church has called us to fast and we've all come up with a plan and I'm going to fast for a week. And I said, you're not going to eat for a week? Oh, no, I'm going to eat. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to play Halo 2 for a week. I'm fasting Halo. 
and I thought, well, let's just back off here again uh, because he's all excited about this. But if you search the scriptures, there is never anywhere in the scriptures, not only talking about halo to fasting, but any kind of fasting other than when it comes to food. Just not. Now, you can have partial fasts. Now, when I read this passage, I thought Daniel fasted by not eating any food for three weeks. Well, then I started reading the three guys that I look at uh, on Daniel. And here's what these guys say. So I thought, I think they're wrong. So I went back and I looked at each of these words. And dadgummit, I was wrong there, right? Because the words say it. Tasty food there in verse 3 has to do with delicacies. You could use it to describe pastries. He is not eating any fancy food. In addition to that, he's not eating meat. And he's not drinking wine. He says, I'm not going to eat any meat. I chose not to drink any wine. He's probably on some kind of diet like bread and water. Maybe a few vegetables thrown in. That's it for three weeks. Go ahead. It's interesting. When I read that, I think about how he started out and where he is now. Yep. Both pleasing to God. Now, so there is a fast. I want you to think about it. Cindy, how would Neil do if for three weeks he could have just plain bread, water, and a few vegetables? Aha. Uh-huh. Now, she didn't say that loud enough for the getting the recording, so I'm not going to repeat that she said grouchy. But the fact is that this is what he's doing, and that was considered humbling to God. So this is something that I think the church doesn't know or understand much about. And I'm going to give you the reason. The reason the church doesn't understand about fasting is they see fasting as giving up something. But if you think about fasting in that way, I think you should reconsider fasting. Fasting is much less about what we're giving up and much more about what we're making room for. What we are making room for. When we fast, we exchange what we need to survive for what we need to live. More of God. That's what we're exchanging. Now, I was able to come up with five specific spiritual benefits to fasting. We're going to touch on them this morning. I put an explanation more at length in Appendix A or Addendum A, excuse me, that's attached to the notes. But let me show you the five things, benefits that in my study I came up with. Number one, it provides a cleansing of your soul resulting in bringing you closer to the Savior. It cleanses our soul of sin because fasting involves confession. Do you remember what was going on in uh, Daniel's life when he was in chapter 9? He was fasting that day and confessing sins, and he was being cleansed. And when you are cleansed, it brings you closer to God. Do you remember when Isaiah was taken up into heaven? What did God have to do to really be able to communicate with him? Cleanse by putting a coal from the altar next to his lips and removing all of his sin. That person, of course, was a little different than Daniel and his sins had been cleansed as of that day. But 
Not, most of us don't get to go up to heaven and do that. Number two, a, a new and strident desire to know in communion with God. Fasting brings in us a new desire to be closer to God. It eliminates other things. Now, you know, I have to admit it's probably different for men than women. Because when most men wake up, their first thought is, what are we having for breakfast? And shortly thereafter eating breakfast, what's their next thought? What are we doing for lunch? And shortly thereafter, what about dinner? Are we having any plans for dinner? You know, I've never been a woman, so I don't know whether women think those kind of things. I think not. But uh, be that as it may, we've learned a whole new insight on you today. I'll have to share it with you after class. But I was glad that you were gone while we were talking about that. Uh, There's a third thing that we learn. A deeper, more nourishing praise of God Almighty. When you are fasting and you're in this condition that you are cleansing your soul and you have a new and strident desire to know and commune with God, you have a deeper, more nourishing praise of the Almighty. Understand, praise that's nourishing? Absolutely. Do you remember what Jesus said? They'd been traveling from down in Judea walking on foot, and they'd gotten halfway there up through Samaria, and they needed to have lunch. Disciples were all about lunch. Who wants to go in and get some food from down? We're all going. Jesus was the only one left behind. When they come back with the food, he's talking to that woman, the Samaritan woman. And he says, aren't, they say, aren't you hungry? I have food you don't know about. What do you mean? Where, where'd you get the food? What was he talking about? He was talking about being nourished by praising and being used by the Holy Spirit. That's what he was talking about. Number four, you have a heightened sensitivity to God's voice. Has any of you said, you know, I would really like to hear from God? Let me give you a way. Fast. Humble yourself before God. And it gives you a heightened sensitivity to God's voice. And finally, a greater satisfaction from your relationship with the Master. The satisfaction of relating to the master grows during a time of humbling ourselves and fasting. So all of those things work into this concept of humbling ourselves. That's the trigger. And you know what? One thing before I answer that question, I just looked down at Chin, and it seems to me that there are some countries where the church knows more about fasting than our country, like Korea. They know more. Uh, like some of the outskirts in Southeast Asia. You probably don't know much about the moon people. Those people, when they are converted, they are all in. All right. Mark. Yeah, if, if I could uh, go back to Daniel uh, 10, 2, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks, and then he goes in, I did not eat. You know, that word mourning has a lot of power to it. That sets the pace for fasting. Because you're looking at a heaviness of heart. Yes, and you're lamenting. Emotional, like you would feel if you lost a loved one. Yes. That's how we need to approach fasting. It has to be a, a, a mourning and a deep, something very deep. A, a full commitment to. And, but we need to see it not as giving something up, but as opening ourselves up for something more. That's what we don't see. Now, let's go back to the final trigger. Turn from your wicked ways. Consider that admonition just a second. Is that referring to the people of the land or to God's people? God's people. Will America benefit if God's people 
in the church do that? Are they calling on anybody other than God's people to do it? No, they can't. They just, by definition, cannot do these things. If you're not a believer, you can't turn from your wicked ways. It's impossible. You are a sinner and full of a sin nature and Satan controls you. You are the enemy of God. Now, I'm going to suggest to you today that there is a sin that is pervasive in the church. It's being committed regularly by the church during the times that we live. I want you to consider first the 11th chapter of Hebrews verse 6. It says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now the first thing I want you to see and what he's talking about in that verse, he's a rewarder of who? Those who seek him. Those who set their face to look for him. To understand and know who and what he is and what he wants to do and what his plan is. That's what that means. Now, also understand, in English we have one word for love, and Greek's got four or five. In, in Greek, though, they're basically one word for faith, pistuo, and we have three. Faith, belief, or belief, and trust, or trusting. Now, I want you to see that because I want to ask you, maybe the easiest way to ask it is this. What is the opposite of trusting? Who said that? Yes, that is exactly right. And that is the sin that maybe is almost universally per per pervasive in our church today. And we don't look at it as a sin. What do we want to say? Well, I'm just being concerned. Certainly God wants me to be concerned about this. No, we're worried. Now, let's talk about that just a second before we finish does God say anything about worry? Well, we have another word that's equal to worry. What is that? Anxiety. Those, those two are basically the same thing. Worry is more of a mental condition. Anxiety has more of a physical carry out. But in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, be anxious for nothing. Now, Steve, is that a suggestion? It's a command. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... How do you deal with worry? Prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Two things in the last of that verse. Surpasses all comprehension. You may not be able to understand it, but you can experience it. It says just experience it. Don't try to understand it. You'll get to one day. Secondly, guard your hearts and minds. That's a military term of setting up a military perimeter and having guard stations set up around your heart. That's what God is doing. Well, wait, do we need a guard around our heart? Do we need a, a military? Absolutely we do. We're just seeing it here in Daniel about this kind of uh, spiritual warfare that goes on. People who participate in the sin of anxiety almost universally in the church, worrying is such that it can leave you feeling overwhelmed, anxious, and even physically ill. Worrying drains you of your energy and instills fear in many of us. One of the questions, do I worry? Do I ever feel drained? Am I ever fearful? If the answer to either of those is yes, you're worrying. Does God want you to be fearful? I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound judgment. 
very clear. He doesn't want us being fearful. Well, when you worry, it can distract you, muddying up your decision-making process and prolonging your suffering. When you worry about the future, which is often the case, you are literally creating a physical and emotional reaction to something that has yet to occur and may never occur. Never occur. Worrying about the future becomes habitual, addictingly habitual, and brings all of its unpleasant side effects with it. And then you become in a trap. And then Satan says, I've got her, or I've got him. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Worry. If we are worried, why not we do something? Well, the first thing we need to do is stop worrying. Because who's in control? God is. The enemy is very powerful. And you know firsthand what the, firsthand what the Islamic enemy can do. And God uses all of these types of enemies. You're right. It's not. Now, one of my good friends, uh, most of you know him, he has this saying, well, Doug, you've just thrown a grenade in the room and walked away. Fair, who says that? Okay, that's what I thought. I don't want to do that. So how are we going to deal with worry in our lives? Especially if it's universal, that would mean almost everybody in this room suffers from worry. How do we deal with it? First, I say, proclaim a fast in your life for the purpose of gaining understanding. Lord, I want to know. Secondly, memorize scripture relating to worry and anxiety, such as two verses I'm going to give you in just a second. Now, is there anyone in here who can say, well, Doug, you don't understand. I'm too old to memorize. Gary, you're too old to memorize? Yes, I am. You can ask Steve Crossman. All right. Do you believe that, Steve? I do not believe that. I didn't think so. He does a great job. So, memorizing is something everyone... Dewey, can you still memorize? Would it, if your wife's life depended on it, could you memorize? I think you could, because I know how much you love your wife. So, what I'm saying is... It's only a matter of decision-making whether to memorize. Now, we've talked about Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We've read it. Another one of my favorite verses in relation to this is 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, where it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, I didn't stop there. There are 15 passages having to do with worry and understanding your position. Just a second. In addendum B, and you can go and look at those and read them. We didn't have time to go over all those today. But the third thing dealing with worry is you need to beseech the Lord to overcome and help you. If you humble yourselves before him and you fast and you learn these passages, he will respond. He will respond and help you. Gary. Well, yeah, two things. Uh, one is uh, actually to not believe is the opposite of to believe. Of trusting, yeah, or believing. Okay. You go to, if you go to Ephesians 2, you talk about some disobedience, and then that is a root word for, for the word faith, and so they are opposite of believing. We are disobeying. Secondly, if you go to Zechariah chapter 7, the people have been in Babylon for 70 years. He questions them, what, why, why are you fasting? And then 
each of them fasten for themselves. And part of the fasting in Isaiah 58 and Zechariah is that when you're fasting, you need to be nice to people, you need to be kind, you have to be gracious. Like the lady said here, on her cup is the word, are the words, be kind. So in your fasting, be nice to people. I would agree with that. Now, let me, let me make this suggestion to you before we finish, because we need to close. If you look up the word worry, it has the meaning we've used, and it has a little slightly different meaning. Have you ever taken a paper clip, and you open it up, and you twist it this way, then you twist it this way, and you twist it this way, and you twist it that way, and then what happens? That's called worrying that paper clip. But you know what? If worrying has been a problem for you, you can take worrying and you can turn it around into meditation of God's Word. Use the same ways that you worry, change it and stop that, and use it to meditate on God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we could look at this chapter and we could see uh, these valuable insights that we have from Daniel. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to understand the importance of understanding what's being said here and how we need to pray for our nation like Daniel prayed for his nation, how we need to humble ourselves to see what you want us to do, to humble ourselves and to seek your face and to turn from our wicked ways and to be willing to follow whatever instructions you give us. Thank you for the time that we could study this passage. And I pray that you'll be with me as I study this next week. One final thing I want to pray for, Father. Please work in the hearts of those nine men and women to stop the killing of our children. How can you not respond in grave punishment if that goes on? Not to talk about the sexual trafficking of older children. Clean our nation up, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.